0: I want to welcome you if you're here for the first time or here, um, maybe you've been visiting with us recently, I want to welcome you back. I hope that you have um, meaningful experience this morning. I remember having a conversation with Key Walker years ago where they were visiting, Key and Holly. And uh, Key said, I said, it's really been good to have you guys. And he said, yeah, we like it here. We're comfortable here. And I said, I'm not sure I want you to be comfortable here. I think that something what you look for in a church, ideally, is not necessarily weekly comfort. Uh, there will be times certainly where you need that. but ideally, you're looking for a weekly meal of truth that sometimes is uncomfortable and sometimes is challenging. I think this morning may be one of those meals. Uh, it may be affirming for some. it may be challenging for others. Um, I want to pray about the, this, um, this uh, particular sermon. I want to pray for another church in our community, and then we'll jump into our passage. If you want to be turning there, maybe, uh, in these next few minutes, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's pray. God, this morning, we want to lift up another church, and a pastor and his wife in our community. I want to pray for Ch- Travis Chappell, and um, for his wife, and for their uh, new baby. Lord, i I'm just uh, imagining uh, or remembering what that's like with a new baby at home and just want to lift them up lord and pray for a guy with a new ministry and a new baby uh, all together um all at one time is quite overwhelming and pray that you would give him a peace uh, this morning as likely he's preparing to preach uh, unless someone's standing in for him that he is um, trusting you uh, with what likely feels like an ill-equipped unprepared message um Lord, I pray that you would use him, that you would speak through him so that he would be reminded that um, um, you are looking for willing and available people. And, um, Lord, I just pray that you would use him to equip the saints at the the Church uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Lord, we um, pray that they would be um, uh, well-equipped to enjoy you, uh, to walk with you, Uh, to be salty bright and aromatic uh, as they depart here in the next little while and go to their homes and their workplaces and their neighborhoods Uh, lord we pray the same thing for us in these next few minutes we pray for um, a time of 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 equipping we pray for a time where the word will become a lens in which we view the world Um, we pray that it would be um, um, illuminating uh, and for those that are challenged or in ways we may be challenged lord we pray that we would walk faithfully in response to what we're hearing. I just want to be uh, very careful and humble and true in these next few minutes. Uh, I want to be a good steward with this pulpit and with this time and with these ears and trusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the Son's disobedience. I'm feeling a uh, especially heavy weight this morning in this sermon, uh, in the preparation and the delivery. Uh, I realize that we bring all manner of history into this room and all manner of experience. Uh, in this room, there are folks that have been the victim of sexual sin. There are folks that have been the uh, perpetrator of sexual sin, uh, the aggressor. Um, there are folks in this room that may be involved in sexual sin and may not even know it. Um, uh, and, and may real, come to realize that in the next few minutes. There's some in this room that are related to folks, are friends with folks who are uh, maybe in a, a gay marriage um, and are, are a gay relationship. Uh, all of these things are going to be part of our conversation this morning, and I really want, what I want to do is I want to come off as careful, sensitive, mindful, considerate, but absolutely true. I think when we're talking about a matter like this, of sexual sin, um, I think, um, and, when I, and I would include in that homosexuality, that we can be tempted to look at um, the scripture through the lens of our experience. We can be tempted to look and, and interpret this word through friends that we have that maybe are in a gay relationship that we really like and enjoy or family members that are maybe uh, involved in a um a gay relationship and that we're like really care about them and we love them so we're going to interpret this through that lens or possibly someone might be fooled into thinking that i want to interpret this through the lens of god wants me to be happy right so i'm going to go run off in this um Uh, in in this period of infidelity because God really wants me to be happy so I'm going to interpret this through the lens of my feelings and my experience and that will get you in a mess man you will make a lot you will make a mess of a lot of things if you do that so what I want to do in these next few minutes is equip you and help you to interpret those situations anything having to do with sexual sin sexual immorality um, homosexuality through the lens of God's Word. This is not going to be an exhaustive message on that topic. We move verse by verse through God's Word, and we happen to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. If you've come this morning and thinking, well, it's a topical sermon on on sexual stuff, it just happens to be where we are. Um, There's no plan other than the Holy Spirit ordaining you being here at a morning where we're in this passage. So that's what I am to do is just set this passage free and to see what God has to say to us through this passage. Um, the passage that I've, we're going to focus on is the passage I read, chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. What comes in front of this passage, if you were here last week, you know is a passage that, that is encouraging God's people, charging God's people even to love one another as Christ loved us, sacrificially and selflessly. Okay, so that's one bookend. Okay, the other bookend is a passage that's coming after this that we'll be in next week that's contrasting darkness and light, walking in darkness and walking in light. In some ways, the passage that we're in this morning, there's an implication just from the bookends that are around this passage. The implication is that this stuff that we're going to be talking about today, sexual sin in particular, is the ultimate self-love. It Is the ultimate form of self-love, and it is, given what's around it, Walking in darkness. To be part of sexual sin, to be practicing sexual sin that we're going to look at today, is to be walking in darkness. So here's a map for the morning. I want you to have kind of some sense of where we're going so you'll be able to, if you, if you day, daydream and you drift off or something, you can jump back in knowing where we're going. Uh, I'm going to take a few minutes to unpack verse 3, briefly. Then I'm going to unpack verse 4, okay? And then uh, verses 5 and 6 together. And then I have four application points. Okay, so again, if you you get distracted, you know where to dive back in. Verses 3 and then 4 and then verse 5 and 6 together. And I'm going to unpack the luggage that's in there. That's what we tend to do every week. Before we want to apply anything, we want to know what God's Word says. Okay, so we know that we can trust that we're standing on good, solid ground. Verse 3 is where I'm going to begin this morning. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We have an important question we have to deal with first this morning. Is this just another vice list? Okay, if you've stuck around point long enough, you know that we've bumped into vice lists from time to time. Vice lists are in our Bible. Uh, they're likely some Old Testament ones, but I'm thinking New Testament-wise. They start in the Gospels and they end in Revelation. And there are different authors. It's not just particular to one particular author, um, or it's not uh, limited to one particular author, although Paul uses vice lists a lot. There's a potential that for these three things to just be viewed as a vice list. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, just three random sampling of vices that Paul, just at the moment, must have a particular angst over. Or, there's a theme. Okay, that's where I'm going to be going this morning, is treating this as if it's a theme. Okay, and the commentators deal with this differently. Some of them deal with it in the former, like I just said, a random collection of vices. Other commentators, ones that I find uh, more reliable, more consistently, treat this as a theme, a sexual theme. Some things that point toward the idea that it is a theme that uh, there's a mention of filthy talk in verse four, the discouragement from filthy talk and crude joking in verse four. Also in verse four, I've asked some of you, or those of you that get our emails, to read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and to study it this week, kind of in tandem with Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to read that passage, but I am going to draw a few things out as we go because I think there's some language that's used there that's also used here. In verse 4, there's a mention of thanksgiving. There's a mention of idolatry. In verse 5, there's a mention of wrath and then sexual immorality. And then um, there's an impurity warning in verse... or or, uh, warning against sexual immorality and impurity in verse 5. And then wrath, I'm sorry, I said verse 5, is mentioned in verse 6. Okay. And then there's the darkness and light contrast that I already mentioned. It seems as if Paul is thinking of this grouping of vices, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, along the same lines of thinking as he is over there in Romans chapter 1. Because there in Romans chapter 1, he mentions wrath. He mentions idolatry. He's talking about sexual sin. He's talking about darkness And he there mentions an absence of thanksgiving. Lots of the same language that's used here. It gives the sense that it's one big conversation in two different letters. So I'm going to try and bring that out as we go, but I don't want to get bogged down in it. But that's going to be the approach that we're going to take uh, with this passage, that we're talking about a theme dealing with sexual immorality. Okay, let's unpack the passage. First, we're dealing with a sinful triad. Three things that are mentioned here, sexual immorality, uh, impurity, and covetousness. These things should not even be named among you. We know who the book of Ephesians is written to. It's written to the Ephesian church. So the you, in this case, is the church. Sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness should not even be named among the church. They're not even proper or fitting for people that are part of... A church, He calls them saints. And for the rest of the morning, I'm going to refer to you as saints because that's what we are. We're not like some denominations in faiths that believe that saints are just the special people that we're going to do something special with. That saints are the, the people of God, period. That's the way they're used in our Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Who, If you've read the letters to the church in Corinth, you know they weren't very saintly. He begins the first letter with this, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified and holy. We could just use the term those um, sanctified and saintly. Okay, so you want to kind of grab and apprehend that term because I'm going to use it for the rest of the morning, calling you saints as he's referring to them as saints. He says these things should not even be spoken of when speaking of you, the saints, What are these three things, this terrible triad? The first is sexual immorality. Um, The word in the Greek is the word pornea. It's it's a root word for pornography. It probably sounds familiar. Uh, It was used in ancient Greek to reference prostitution, which likely would have been a very common practice in Ephesus with uh, the uh, temple of Artemis there, uh, slash Diana, the goddess Artemis Diana, that likely would have had temple prostitution, of all things. It likely would have been a very familiar uh, sin in this context, the sin of prostitution. It also refers to, in ancient Greek, homosexuality. Uh, It refers also, it's used in ancient Greek, to refer to fornication. Okay, I'll give you a summary of what it means, essentially. It means, essentially, aberrant sexual conduct to include, at the very least... Sex before marriage, both physical and virtual. Okay, and I have to include virtual now because we have this thing called the Internet and the computers and uh, pornography that they may not have had access to, or I know we didn't have access to those things, but they may have had some version of a virtual experience. We very much have a version of a virtual experience. And it's as sinful as the real So we're talking about sex before marriage, both physical and virtual. We're talking about sex outside of marriage, both physical and virtual. And we're talking about homosexuality. It's all caught up in that one term, among other things. The second term is the word impurity. This word just plainly means uncleanness. It's usually associated with sexual sin. Most of the time that this word is used by um, the New Testament writers, it's in connection with some... Type of sexual sin. Paul used it almost exclusively in conjunction with sexual sin, not just talking about being dirty. It's talking about being sexually dirty. He uses the term in Romans 1 also, yet another touch point with Romans 1. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then he goes on to talk about homosexuality. I believe what we're talking about here is, first of all, sexual immorality. And the second thing, sexual impurity. And the third thing, this is a little bit uh, more difficult the word covetousness. Covetousness is something that might be familiar to you. It's one of our Ten Commandments. I'll share the commandment with you. You you probably don't, you probably kind of generalize, summarize it. But here's how it goes You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, covetousness, you typically think about stuff. You think about things. But what I want you to see right here in this this, uh, commandment that may be unfamiliar to you, you might be noticing for the first time, there is a sexual component to covetousness. uh, Coveting your neighbor's wife, after all, I don't imagine is coveting her cooking. I mean, it could be. She could be an amazing cook. But I think what we're talking about here is we're talking about some sort of sexual connection and sexual covetousness. There's the sense here that this term, in conjunction with the other two, and in fitting in with the context of the passage, is speaking about a sexual greed. Okay, a sexual greed is someone that's treating others like they exist for his or her own self gratification. That can happen outside of a marriage, and sadly, people, it can happen in a marriage. It can happen in a marriage someone is driven by what we might call sexual greed. This sinful triad shouldn't even be spoken of when speaking of the saints. And since we're talking about speaking, let's look at the next verse, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, no, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be Thanksgiving. Not only should these things not be practiced, not only should these things not even be spoken of in conjunction with being identified with the saints, they should not even be talked about. These types of sexual sins and all that goes with them should not even be joked about. For in talking about these things um, and entertaining filthy and foolish and crude talk, we open the door to the acts themselves becoming more acceptable. In some ways, what we're doing and talking about them or joking about them is we're normalizing them. They become part of our experience or at least part of our language and part of the story that we might experience over the course of the day as we're telling a story with a guy at work. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. And here's one of his vice lists. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. This passage is about stuff that comes out of the mouth that reflects what's in the heart. But what Paul is mindful of here in the Ephesians passage, I think, is the reality that the heart and mouth are connected. Remember the song that our mom taught us? Thigh bones connected to the leg bone or whatever. I don't know how it went. The heart bone is connected to the mouth bone. They're connected. And he's mindful of that. What comes out of the mouth may just foster a home in the heart and give a place in the heart where something actually could become a way of life. So there's six don'ts that we've considered so far this morning. We haven't spent a lot of time on them, but maybe you've gathered them up. I'll help you. The six don'ts don't practice sexual immorality. Don't practice sexual impurity. Don't practice sexual greed or covetousness. And don't talk about this stuff either with filthy, foolish, or crude talking or joking. They're unfitting, they're improper, and they're out of place given who you are. That's Paul's message to the church at Ephesus. Instead of those things, instead of those six, we should do something. Did anybody catch it? Anytime God calls his people away from something, he's always taking them to something. And he calls them away from stuff that's always a pale comparison to the greatness of what he calls them to. And here, if you didn't catch it, he calls them to something better. And if you didn't see it, let's see it. Instead of these six terrible things, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be Thanksgiving. Instead of practicing these things, instead of talking about these things, instead of joking about these things, give thanks. It's what the lost folk of Romans 1 didn't do. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. More Ephesians imagery right there. I think he's thinking the same thought. Instead of practicing these things, instead of talking about these things, we should give thanks. All right, now, I want to speak pretty plainly with folks in the room that are dear to me, folks that I've had the, some of you had the chance to pastor and shepherd for some time. I, 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 the look in your face as you have shared with me, some of you, the year's worth of uh, deep enslavement that you've felt to pornography, okay, or this horror that I've seen in your face as you've been caught in an adulterous relationship, okay? You may be thinking right now, is that the best you got, Paul? Is that the best you got, Ben? I got this thing that has, that has held me like, like a slave for decades, and the best you've got for me is to give thanks? For For real? We're going to talk about that some more and make sense of what Paul, I think, is, is taking us to right there. But I want you to get and don't miss. If you've missed the irony in that and the shock that that's what Paul's given them, then you're asleep or you're not paying attention. Are you not acknowledging the life-altering, soul-gripping nature of sexual sin? And the remedy being to give thanks? You've got to have almost a sense of humor about that comment. We're going to come back to that. We're going to land there later on this morning. But I think you're going to find some ample goods in that. Ample goods for all manner of vice. Let's move on to verses 5 and 6. We'll treat these together. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, we've had six don'ts and we've had one do. One underdeveloped do. I acknowledge it's underdeveloped. I'm going to come back to it later. But now Paul gives a couple of things to know. Let's just grab those two things. Let's just take a second and then we're going to move on to our application points. In verse 5, Paul shows us and tells us there's no inheritance for those who practice sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and sexual greed. And he says, you may be sure of it. Man, are we? Are we? Those of you that are caught up in one of the above, are you? Man, I want you to feel the weight of what was just said. You may be sure of it. You may be sure there's no inheritance for you. No inheritance for you. Now, there's no sense here that someone who is one of God's children can lose or his or her salvation for doing such things. Okay, I want to get those of you that have stopped breathing for a few minutes. You can breathe. Just take one breath, just one, because let me finish the thought. There's too much scripture saying otherwise. But there is the sense, though, that there are those who make a practice of such things who prove by their practice that they are not his. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get that. There is the sense that there are those who make a practice of these things who prove by their, I should qualify, unrepentant, unchecked practice that they are not his. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians a different way. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we could add to it, as he said before, this is something of which you can be sure. Okay, there's no blessing, but in verse 6 tells us there's something else. There's no blessing for those who are practicing these things. But then verse 6 adds one more thing God's wrath is in store for those who practice these things. Not only will there be no inheritance, but there will actually be punishment. God's wrath is in store for those who practice sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and sexual greed. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, yet again a connection. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then the passage cascades into one version of sexual sin after another. If these things, I want you to hear me right now, people. If these things find an unrepentant home in you. Okay, hear the word I just said. If these things find an unrepentant home in you, then there is no inheritance for you, and you are due the wrath of the living God. Man, if that scares you to death and you're unrepentant, good. Maybe that's the first step. Maybe that's the first step, and that'll take us to our first application and response. The first application that I have for you this morning is this. Number one, saints, comma, repent, exclamation point. I'm adding the the punctuation there because I'm going to modify something here in a moment. But I want you to hear what I just said. Saints, comma, repent, exclamation point. Don't continue in sexual immorality. Don't continue on in sexual impurity. Don't continue on in sexual greed. Turn from it. Let today be the day. You heard it said. I didn't make it up. It comes right from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. Today would be a great day. Don't wait till tomorrow. Repentance is harder tomorrow than it is today, I promise you. If some of you involved in this hidden sin, that's the nature of this sin, too. It's hidden. It loves dwelling in darkness. If some of you involved in some dark, hidden sexual sin, I'm calling you, begging you, urging you. While it's called today, repent of that sin. Man, you've got to know that there is hope for you and there is help for you. The nature of this sin wants to keep it in the dark and wants to keep it private. Well, here's something else that's true of this sin. God ain't going to let you get free of it on your own. You're going to require a little circle of saints standing beside you and around you, behind you, with their hands on your shoulders and hands on your back, holding you up and guiding you and helping you. You're going to need the brothers and sisters in the faith. He's not going to let you get away with putting this sin to death on your own. But you've got to know there is help. If you are son or daughter of the high king of heaven, you're not enslaved to it, whatever it may feel like. I know what it can feel like. We all know what sin can feel like when it has its grips on you, claws into you. But we've got to believe what this says and look at that reality through the lens of the scripture that says you are no longer enslaved to that sin. Now, you may not know how to walk in freedom yet, but you're not enslaved to that sin anymore. (laughs) Don't believe that lie. It's not who you are, so repent today. Get help. Because saints repent. Period. Saints repent. Period second application point is saints don't settle for imposters, I mean idols. Saints don't settle for imposters, oops, I mean idols. Let me explain that. Verse 5 in this passage equates those who practice these things, these sexual sins, with idolaters. What you need to realize is that idols are really just imposters. Did you know that? Did you know that they're really counterfeits of the real, genuine article? Idols are really just imposters. Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness are counterfeits of the real deal. They're fake versions of God's best. They offer freedom, but they only deliver bondage. They make all kind of promises, like all self-respecting idols They offer bliss, but in the end, they only deliver despair. They offer identity, but the result is, ironically, losing who you are. Man, they are counterfeits that can't deliver what God made. And here's God's best. Hear it loud and clear. God made sex for two people, a man and a woman, within the covenant bounds of marriage, Period. Anything else, anything else is sinful aberration and it's an imposter. I realize you likely some of you have many thoughts surrounding you they're swirling around you like, what about Tom and John? And what about Sally and Sarah? And what about my friends and my family that are so dear to me? We're calling them uh, l- uh, wrong. We're somehow saying that's wrong. Let me encourage you. Remember, we have to put this in front of that. This has to become the lens to interpret and decipher that. Now, how we walk in that, we'll talk about next week. And how we can walk in that lovingly, we'll talk about next week. But we have to first establish what is, what's God's best. And God's best is the sex is for the covenant bounds of marriage, period. Anything else is a sinful aberration, an imposter. Let me put this charge out there to our young people. Young people have a, a new level of exposure to the counterfeits. I have a graph I'm going to show in a minute, not just yet. but I, a, I made a high-speed graph that really will illuminate this for you in a way like never before. But young people have, our, have a new level of exposure to the counterfeits. And you can believe the lie that you'll be happy and fulfilled, but you'll be wrong, young people. If you participate in sex before marriage, I can make you this promise. It, it will have lots of promises, but it will not deliver. And in fact, what, you'll, what the result will be will be years and years and years worth of having to work through that mess that you made. That is a guarantee. So here's what I want to encourage you with this thought. If someone offered you $100 now are a million dollars 10 years from now. Young people, think about that. Someone offers you $100 now, or a million dollars 10 years from now. Please tell me you would wait for the million. Please. I know you can't respond. We're in a sermon, but I, hopefully in your head, you're thinking, man, I would hold up for the million. Well, do that when it comes to sexual activity because I promise you it's a million dollars if you wait for God's best for you. It's a million. It's the best wedding gift you will ever receive. But you can ruin it. Or you can sure mess it up by going after the hundred right now. Hold out for the million. That's what you're doing when you say no to the counterfeits. And when you hold out for the genuine article of sex inside the covenant bounds of marriage, it'll be your favorite wedding gift. Third, saints, comma, don't be deceived. Saints, don't be deceived. Deception, it seems, is part and parcel to sexual sin. It's the packaging, it's the vehicle, it's the currency of the nature of this particular sin. And those who actively participate in sexual sin love deceiving and recruiting I love recruiting. Misery loves company. There's no surprise to that. Verse 6, look what it says there in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There's no surprise that a warning against, or there shouldn't be a surprise, that a warning against deceivers are part of the sexual conversation. It's interesting, another connection in Romans chapter 1. Not only do they practice such things, but they give approval to those who do. Recruiting. Deceiving. Sexual sin loves good company. Who's most at risk? You can go ahead and put that up. Ethan, thank you. This is a really high-speed graph. Let me acquaint you with it. It's really complex. It's going to be. It's really going to take a lot of thinking to get this, figure this thing out. Uh, it's something that we discovered in a leadership meeting, a youth leadership meeting, just a few weeks ago. And like, man, how about this? Okay, let me show you, the, the, this is the sheep danger graph, okay? diagram, okay? sheep danger. This is age. Now, it's chronological age, recognizing someone might be an 80-year-old and be a new believer. Okay? I want to acknowledge that. But typically, we're talking about age in some way having a correlation with spiritual age. Okay? So we're talking about a 15-year-old has to be a relatively new believer even if he or she came to faith as a six-year-old. You're still a relatively new believer. Right? You're not a babe, but you're still very young in the faith. It's not a criticism. It's just a reality. You, as you grow up chronologically, you grow up spiritually. So we would expect and hope that most of our 80-year-olds are more spiritually mature than most of our 15-year-olds. Okay. Now, here's the, the other. This is the X and Y, or I have them backwards. Whatever. This is world exposure in the X. I think that's X. And if it's not, then just forgive me. Okay. And here's a really high-speed measurement here. We means very little world exposure. And mondo means a lot of world exposure. Okay. Those, are, those are exact measurements. Mondo and we. Okay. So this is a rough graph. All right, it's rough. Yeah. You get the humor in it. But let me show you. The, 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 uh, hopefully, it will add a note of sobriety to what I'm talking about here. The people in our fold that have the most world exposure through social media, through music, through movies, through conversations that they're having with one another are also the folks who are the spiritually the youngest and most vulnerable. The 80-year-olds, man, I love you guys, but you're not really, you might get on Facebook like once a month or something. Right, right. Just to look at grandkids' pictures, you don't get a lot of the same exposure that our fifteen-year-olds are getting. Bless your hearts. You're not watching a lot of the same movies. You're not surfing the web like I, some of you might be, but most of you aren't. Okay, so it's a you understand what's going on on the scale right here. Our young people, you can leave that up there because I wanted a nice visual as I continue talking. Our young people are the highest risk sheep in the fold. They're hearing more and being tempted with more than any of us. Young people, it would be helpful if you realize that you are being recruited. Those who practice such things, they want to deceive. And they want to recruit you because it adds numbers, it adds weight to where they are. There's a menu now. I want to be very careful about this. I don't mean to be ugly toward anyone. Um, These are human beings behind these letters. Okay, and I recognize that. And I want to be, as I prayed in the very beginning, I don't want to come off like some know-it-all jerk that is um, Westboro Baptist ridiculousness. Or some jerk that, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's dumb. That adds nothing to the conversation. Hopefully we've got better stuff to deal with. I hope this morning will be that. Okay, but here's the menu. Here's the menu that our children can, can choose from. LGBTI. Q-A-plus. Pick your letter. The, the acronym is growing. I mean, for years, it's just L-B-G-T, I think. And you know what those, some of those mean. But there's some new ones. There's um, intersexual. There's uh, queer and questioning. There's asexual. And then there's the plus that it just gathers up any of the miscellany that haven't been dealt with under the other letters. Realize our young people are being encouraged to pick your letter. Choose from the menu. Just don't be boring and not have a letter. What letter are you? Are you going to be a plus? Are you going to be something more, more mainstream? Man, when I was that age, listen, here was my big decision. Whether I was going to wear Wranglers and Ropers... And be it kind of a cowboy kind of dude, and Louisiana is more like a redneck kind of dude, or whether I was gonna wear an eyesod, we had odds, big deal, and part my hair in the middle and feather it. <laughs> I opted for the former. <laughs> but man, that's the biggest decision that I was making. Not about what gender I was, not about my sexuality. Man, our children are in harm's way. Seriously. Golly, they are in harm's way. And young people, hear me say this. You don't have the benefit of decades of walking with the Lord, growing not only in the knowledge of God, but the knowledge of yourself. If I somehow could equate monetarily what I thought I knew when I was your age compared to what I actually knew that I learned in later years, I'd be a millionaire. I don't mean that in a way that's talking down to you. It's just in a way that I promise you, you think you know everything right now, but you don't. You don't have the benefit yet of knowing your weaknesses and your besetting sins and how Satan's promises can be for you strategic and surgical like a siren's call. But you'll learn. Man, you can learn the hard way or you can trust the older sheep who have survived a few wolf attacks. And can promise you, man, let's stay close to the shepherd. That's where it's safe. Don't pick from the menu. It's going to harm you. Man. Here's another charge in connection with this. Those who teach our young people should have a sense of sobriety and a burden for wisdom as we pour into these young people. Teachers. Don't you dare go through the motions with our children or young people. Don't you dare work hard all week and then mail it in when you're going to come up here and serve, pouring into our young people. We should be giving our people a clarion message. Our young people should leave with a clarion message of what God's best is. So there's no confusion. Otherwise, they're going to be hearing plenty of other messages. Man, if you're sitting the bench, too, let me encourage you in that. If you're sitting the bench, man, there's no room for that. You see who's in danger? Man, lots of great opportunities to serve. If they don't hear the truth from us relentlessly, they'll only hear the promises of the imposters. One guy described it as the age that we're in. It's not a new word. But he described the age that we're in as homo novus. This is the, the age that humankind is in where we can recreate ourselves. If you know a little Latin there, you know that means new, new man. And it actually was a term that they used in ancient times, for like for a commoner that became a senator. A, a new man, newly ennobled and that's the mindset in our age now. We can recreate ourselves. I can be whatever gender I want. I can ever be whatever race I want. I can be whatever version, however I self-identify. Man, God's people should know better. And here's what God's people should be about. Here's the fourth and final point. And here's the goods. If you were like earlier, you're like, man, I wish you'd develop that a little bit more. Let me develop it for you now. God's people, saints, comma, give. Thanks. Instead of recreating ourselves, instead of homo novus choosing from the growing menu, saints do what's fitting and proper giving thanks to our Creator as part of a, a new people. <laughs> we are a recreated people. But don't get the new new people wrong. The new people that we're part of is the church. And when we give thanks together, it's the ultimate act of worship. And it's what's really synonymous with faith. If you're thinking, man, what else you got? Man, I'm talking about giving thanks means you trust God and what he's given you. You trust God and what he's given you. Giving thanks is the opposite of idolatry. It's saying, I don't want any counterfeits. I'm gonna be good with the real deal. I'm gonna be good with the real deal. If he made you a girl, girls, give thanks and trust him. Start right there. Give thanks. If he made you a boy, give thanks and trust him. He made you a boy. If you're single, Give thanks and trust him and his timing for a spouse. Let's start with giving thanks. If you're married, I saw a funny, <laughs> a funny picture on Facebook yesterday. It made me laugh. It showed like a, a picture of the guy I served with in the Marine Corps it had a, a picture of this married couple in the foreground, and they're looking. And I mean, wedding. Attire. She's got her, her veil on, what that thing's called, the veil. And uh, he's wearing his tux, and they're embracing, and they're looking at each other like, new, obviously, newlyweds. And then in the background, it shows this guy catching a fish on the beach. And his rod is, like, bent over. And, and then at the bottom, it says, happiest day of my life. He says, I'm in the background. <laughs> Man, I totally get it. Some people can feel like marriage is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And let me encourage the people of God with this thought. Give thanks. Give thanks for the wife of your youth. Pray, Lord, teach me to be satisfied and delighted even with the wife of my youth. That's a great defense against the idolatrous promise of the allure of someone else. Start with giving thanks. She's your birthright. All of the other stuff, no matter how attractive, is a bowl of soup. If you're married, give thanks and trust it. Wives, give thanks for the man you married. Give thanks for the man You married. I believe with everything in me that God ordained your marriage. Every wedding ceremony I do, I say the words, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We tend to focus on the after part there. Don't let anybody mess that thing up. But let's focus on the first part. What God joined together. Wives, you might be sitting beside a guy or a guy on your row or a guy that's not here thinking, what have I done? Let's think differently. Back up a little bit. And let's start with this. Give. Thanks. God gave you that man. So start unscrambling the mess first by giving thanks. That's what saints do. Let me pray. God, I pray with everything in me that this sermon this morning has not come off like a a jerk, has not come off and an ugly way to someone that might be involved in some sexual sin. Lord, I pray with everything in me that this sermon has come off as uber true. I pray that we've been faithful just unpacking what this passage says. And I pray that the weight of it hits us, Lord, that the Holy Spirit works through what we've considered in these last few minutes. And Lord, I pray that we as a people can just be simply a thankful, content people. Lord, we give thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Reading from Luke chapter 22, the first Lord's Supper. And I want you to notice what happens in this context. It's fitting that we consider giving thanks. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. If you are trusting our Savior and Lord, or you are trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, I invite you to join us in the supper as we distribute the elements.